You're listening to the Tuesday Talks podcast, your source of truth in communications, identity management, and technology. Today's episode features an industry spotlight on the automotive industry, which we all know has a tainted reputation when it comes to getting scammed over the phone. Joining Rebecca is Scott Davis, president of Volley and Dealer Identity, Numerical's exclusive automotive partner. Together, they discuss the lack of trust in legitimate phone calls impacting legal businesses and dealerships, especially in the wake of new regulations to stop auto warranty scam calls. Welcome to Tuesday Talks, a live discussion series where we bring truth and shed light across the brand identity and the communications industry. I'm Rebecca Johnson, founder and CEO of Numerical, and I'll be co-hosting today's session with Scott Davis, president of Dealer Identity and Volley. It's so great to have you joining us today, Scott. Thanks, Rebecca. Great to be here. Very excited to have this discussion with you and, and everyone on today. Thank you. Absolutely. So, Scott, for those listeners of ours who are unfamiliar with Dealer Identity, can you just take a moment to share a bit about your experience in the automotive industry, creating the number one business development center platform through your company, Volley, which then led to the creation of Dealer Identity, which is also Numerical's exclusive automotive partner for identity verification and number reputation management for auto dealers. Yeah, thank you. Been in the auto business for about 20 years and uh... Technology really hasn't changed that much in the automotive space and how they communicate with their customers. Uh, Volley meant to solve that and uh, we built modern call technology, call center technology on top of a customer data manager. Well, with everything that's going on that you know about with, with spam labeling, stir shake, and uh, all, all the regulations out there, uh, we realized we had a problem to solve. and. Uh, Dealers, they're not spamming their customers. Generally, the calls they make are oil changes, warranties, recalls, lease portfolio calls. Um, someone submits a lead and, they, uh, and they'll call them on that. And they were struggling, not only in our platform and outside of it, to, uh, um, to solve that so their calls got through to their customers. Um, my son Jacob had a warranty call that was labeled as spam. You know, you want to make, you want to receive those calls, and we knew we had to solve it. So, hence dealer identity and our partnership with Numerical. Thanks, Scott. So, so now that we know a little bit more about the solutions that you've pioneered in this space, let's dive in, and we're just gonna we're just gonna call out the elephant in the room. We're gonna put a spotlight on some of the recent federal enforcement and attention that the automotive industry has been receiving, whether they wanted to receive this or not. So as we've been seeing in the news, the FCC and FTC have been extremely active and vocal around their continued efforts to identify and really make public examples out of known bad actors. And just as recently as July 21st, the Enforcement Bureau ordered all U.S. voice service providers to take all necessary steps to avoid carrying robocall traffic from the Cox Jones Sumco Panama operation identified to be originating scam warranty calls. And this is by no means will be the last time that we hear of this type of case. So Scott, with the FCC's robocall response team that's led by Chairman Rosenworcel, focusing new attention on the automotive industry in addition to the gradual lack of trust overall that we've seen growing in your industry for years, how are all the legitimate auto dealers out there dealing 
with a struggle to connect to their customers and distinguishing themselves from these truly fraudulent scam type clients. Well, I mean, up until now, they're just really struggling. And, and really, I, I don't blame the government for trying to solve this for the consumers. They're out to protect them. Unfortunately, it just affects these small businessmen in a lot of, you know, these community businessmen trying to communicate with their customers. Normal things they do nowadays is just swap out numbers um, or, or just get frustrated. They're having a hard time solving this in general. So, Scott, I know that, you know, you've had to create policies to vet and verify the legitimacy of a dealership, right, prior to, yeah, to enabling them access to just your platforms because you're going to be delivering the calls. Have you come into any pushback from organizations not wanting to comply or have you found something kind of similar to what we experienced in the past is that legal companies are really perfectly fine with standing up and saying, hey, here's who I am, this is what I'm communicating and identifying themselves and their uh, association to their numbers. So, you know, what, what has been your experience in that space? Yeah, I mean, Volley works directly and then indirectly with thousands of dealers each month. And uh, I've never run into a single bit of pushback for um, wanting to comply with this or, or attest that they have legitimate calls. Now, geez, I'm not trying to, um, you know, auto warranties have their place. Generally, dealerships are not making those calls. Um, they're, they are making simple calls that the customer wants and I, I've never received any pushback for it at all. Yeah, and I think that's important for listeners to hear because I think there is a misunderstanding that it is the dealerships that are delivering the warranty calls uh, that are wrapped up at the label of scam. The debt collection industry kind of had the same issue early on for distinguishing between bad actors posing to be debt collectors versus truly legal Debt collectors. I mean, every industry has a collection arm to it. Uh, people will obtain services or products, don't pay their bills, and then it moves over into collection. But the collections industry as a whole was just kind of lumped all the way over into your bad just because of who you are. So I was curious to hear if you've seen that same kind of activity on the auto industry where we've got these warranty scams. And are they just getting lumped into it? And is that just a pain point uh, in the industry? Yeah, no question. Um, it actually gives a lot of our customers stress because their customers will show up on a mailing list and they'll receive a call from someone like dealer services, et cetera. And it sounds, you know, similar to what they're doing. And, and, it's, and it's confusing for the customer. And the customer doesn't love to receive those calls and, uh, and certainly the dealer doesn't authorize them. So, I mean, they're, they're excited to solve this too. I think really the biggest problem that the dealers have, well, two problems that the dealers have, gosh dang it. Number one, uh, they, they have a hard time finding their simple, uh, um, some of their entity information to get, their, get everything in place and, and they love paperwork. Um, number two, it's been a bit of education to get their arms around why they have to solve this problem. Um, it, it's a new thing for them. So it's a learning curve. They're willing to do it, but uh, um, they're, often, they're often offended that they have to do it and they don't realize that they've tried many different ways and, and, uh, and they don't realize that no one's gonna take care of this for them. 
I, I think that's kind of a funny one, especially on the dealership side. Come on. When I buy a car, I have to sign so many papers and it takes hours for the transaction. So, uh, you know, filling out a few, few forms of paper to identify yourself shouldn't be that big of a challenge, but we, we hear it everywhere. Um, healthcare pushes back on, you know, gathering the necessary information to validate. Um, and I, I honestly can't quite figure out why other than, you know, why they're so offended by it, other than the fact that they, they hate the fact that they have to even do this. You know, it's, and I've had some customers go, uh, I'm a big name, go look at my website or go look at my, um, stock ticket, you know, like, Hey, I, you know who I am. And they're almost offended that you want to see some identification. I mean, sometimes I get offended when I'm carded and I'm like, come on, you see the gray hair. Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'd love to get carded, but I, I you know, I, I really don't blame them. I, I think, I think it's our job to be uh, good communicators and, and, and salespeople to help them realize, um, you know, we didn't create this problem. I mean, we're the, we're the problem solver here and, and we've just got it. This is, this stuff is all new. It is a hurdle to overcome, overcome on our side, but we don't blame them. I mean, it's, 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 it's brand new, you know, it's kind of funny. And, and you've talked to me a lot of times about this, Rebecca, but all these, all these procedures and, and laws and regulations came out and then the carriers are meant to solve them and it, and it's, and then it falls on these businesses to comply. It, it's just, it's hard to understand and it's hard to know why it's a new thing that you have to do. So why did you, instead of just solving this for Volley customers, I mean, you really are a pioneer in this space. You, you quickly recognized and you launched dealer identity, which is a very specific approach to it. It's giving identities to dealerships. Can you kind of talk to why you took that approach to stand up to be a leader in this industry? Yeah, I mean, first off, we wanted to solve this problem for our customers. Uh, secondly, uh, these guys are, you know, the, the, the stereotype for a typical dealer is there a slick um, business person who is out to make a ton of money? Really, most of these guys and gals are are community-minded people, very generous, and they're not really that sophisticated in a lot of these ways that that would help them communicate with their customers. And and we felt like it was a good value to bring to the industry that's been been so good to us, and and uh, and so far it's it's we're off to a good start. And I will say being a pioneer in any industry means that you are having to pave a pathway, um, which can be very challenging. And I know one of the challenges, and, and I think it's worth taking a moment to talk about, is getting down to the identity of the entity behind the call. And I'm going to take us back a few years uh, with the FCC's robocall strike force and subsequent activities in the standards group that there is this concept in the beginning that an enterprise is, there's just one entity and they have a direct relationship with their dialer and how could it ever be more complex than that? And the reality is, which is kind of why I uh, started Numerical was no, no, no. Um, various different industries are structured differently and in the automotive industry, it's no different. So there are some challenges with getting, who's the identity behind the call? So can you kind of share, I think it'd be educational, just an understanding of just how the automotive industry is structured. It's just not Dan's Ford uh, uh, on the corner and that's the only one. It could be one of many, right? Like there's layering and structures to it. Yeah, um, 
Boy, that, that, that's very complex. So it ranges from public companies like AutoNation and Lithia that each have around 300 locations um, to uh, you know, a mo mom and pop in a little town and everything in between. A lot of these stores are, are branded, you know, Fort Myers Ford, or, you know, some of them have an individual brand name. Uh, the entity that you mentioned, um, there's many different ways it happens. And on top of that, uh, the people making calls on behalf of these dealers, you know, some of these dealers, these large dealers might have 500 phone numbers attached to them. This includes their desk phone, their voice over IP phones, uh, click to call through their CRM. And then a lot of the calls that they're outsourcing because they, they can't get to them all internally, those numbers through call centers also need, also need this. Uh, so it's, it's complex. There are many, many layers involved with it. And, uh, um, you know, it's been a bit of a learning curve to, to figure out how to quickly to correctly structure it so we can do a good job for them for sure and i appreciate your uh taking up that challenging challenge and figuring out for the industry because it's it's people like us that are going to solve that particular problem and what we're doing here is we're trying to make it very simple for the ones who are delivering calls to be able to get their identity verified uh, associate that with their numbers and make sure that their calls aren't labeled fraud and if they are labeled spam that they're made aware of it and they can change you know, dialing strategies. Sounds simple, but in execution, it is not that simple. Well, I mean, you, you guys really make it seem easy and uh, the process is, is good. I will say, you know, first of all, Volley does not allow robo-dialing or predictive dialing. Everything is, I don't know, automatically manually initiated. So, and we put business rules in place uh, to manage number of attempts. So. We've had a lot of success with our partnership with you guys. After we get going, they pretty much, these numbers stay clean and, and uh, um, um, just because of, of the, not only how Volley helps manage it, but, but what they do in their own stores. I mean, they're, these are not 50 attempts in a day type people. So, I mean, it, it's, it's working well. I, I would bet it's working better long-term than, than a lot of industries that, that have more aggressive calling tactics and such. Auto dealers just, they don't make a lot of the calls and, and, and for the most part, a lot of the ones that they do make, the customer really want. I, I know internally, one of our employees, um, she was, I think it was a, a having her car serviced and you know, it was the time frame of, I need to get my car back, otherwise I'm gonna have to get a rental. And you know, it's life decisions that you have to make. And uh, her call was labeled uh, spam. And so it was just like so frustrated because it was like, oh, my life depends on this right now. I'm trying to make plans. I've got kids, got to move kids around. And, and here I am, I'm not answering the call from the dealership that the car is ready for me to pick it up. Well, I mean, think, think, about, think about all the touches that are involved in that. You know, the dealership might have reached out via phone call to get that scheduled. I mean, let's face it, the customers do not think about us as much as we think about them. And that includes servicing your car. A lot of times you know that, that the best way to uh, keep your car running forever is to keep the oil changed, keep the tires up to date, but you never remember to do it. So they, they touch them to get this service appointment scheduled. Um, nowadays, because of uh, tech shortages and such, a lot of these dealerships are three weeks out when it comes to getting the customer in there. So 
they quite often will then schedule a follow-up or a, a reminder call to make sure they're there. They'll have to call them multiple times to give status updates on the vehicles and, uh, and let them know it's ready, coordinate a rental car. Um, afterwards, the manufacturers have strict rules on, uh, on making sure the customer's happy. The customer doesn't always want to get that call, but, but for the most part, if you look at that whole chain, look at how many touches that would be messed up by an incorrect uh, spam label. Absolutely. And, and one of the ones early on uh, in my career kind of focusing on this was auto recalls, actually. And it was, I, I, forget, I forget the name of the exact case that it was under, but I learned really quickly the complexity around verifying a number for the caller. So you have a situation in which there's a some kind of civil action that's taken. Courts determine, all right, this is a major issue. All of these dealerships, Ford, let's say it's a buckle part. And so Ford, Toyota, all of them are going to have to do recalls. And they're going to do lookups by VIN numbers, and they're going to do these in batches. So a company would be designated to deliver and manage uh, the reach out uh, of each of those individuals associated with those VIN numbers. So they do the outbound call, but then when they made a connection with the consumer, they would do a redirect to the dealership, obviously the local dealership that they needed to drive the car into in order to have the part replaced. That was the most complex uh, process for carriers. This was earlier on uh, to figure out. And I struggled with helping educate that it's not Ford that's calling, but we definitely should probably present that it is Ford and it's a Ford recall so that the consumer will respond to it as opposed to some name of a company nobody knows and they're not even going to you know, answer and pick it up. So it, just in that kind of structure, I still think we are lacking and I say we to mean the federal government on our legal side, the carriers, the industry, the analytics as a whole still struggle to accept the fact that each industry and even the entities within an industry are structured differently. And we should be accommodating to that structure and not force it down one pathway, which is what I've seen you know, happen time and time again. We truly want to solve this problem. Yeah, and, and, and automotive wants this solved too. And, and in the case of your example, think about the average life of, life of a car in operation the average car probably has four or five owners. So when you talk about that process that you had to, uh, to enroll this customer in a campaign for their recall, that the customer really wants done, um, but they may have bought it at one dealer, they moved to a different state. You know, data matching, data matching's hard nowadays over, over all this disparate data, let alone um, back when, when you were a kid in the 40s and 50s. So. You know this. Uh, this it, it's an it's a hard process, um, and uh, um, I, I I think you're right. That, you know, all I know is automotive wants to solve this. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm thankful that you're there to help them through the process. I I see it growing. That's awesome. So so I want to um, just kind of give you uh, an opportunity to provide um, you know for all those legitimate companies in the automotive space that are looking to stay connected with their customers. Uh, do you have a top three strategies or recommendations, best practices, whatever it may be that you suggest 
um, in order to stay far away from the robocall response team's radar and obtain what we refer to as the highest levels of customer trust in communications. Yeah, for sure. Um, first of all, don't make phone calls that you don't want to receive yourself. And, and the good thing is uh, automotive dealers have a lot of calls that, that their customers want to receive and their prospects want to receive. So keep that in mind uh, when, when someone comes with some new idea that maybe sounds a little fuzzy, you know, would you want to receive that call? Um, the next thing, don't use things that may get you in trouble with TCPA or, or impact the trust you have with the customer. A good example would be uh, ringless voicemail. Um, that's definitely a TCPA violation. Uh, a lot of auto dealers and, and other businesses still use that. Customers don't trust it. They know it's not real and, and it's going to get you in trouble. It just, it just ruins the trust for what you're doing. And then third, um, it's not really hard to comply with, with the laws and regulations and, uh, and you know, back to never make a, a call you wouldn't want to receive. Don't use tactics that you wouldn't want, want to have either. So um, that means don't call someone 25 times in a day or five times a day for, for two weeks. Um, use tools that help you manage that. There are plenty of them out there, like Volley, um, that allow you to uh, communicate with the customers systematically and, and respectfully, but, but not too much. I'm glad you added that that last point, um, especially because I think it, it really isn't that difficult to just make the right decisions and know your customer. We talk about know your customer all the time in our space with regards to who's the entity that's delivering calls on your network. But you should absolutely know your customer, how they want to be communicated with, when they want to be communicated with. And I love that line. And I think it applies to any industry is don't deliver a call that you wouldn't want to receive yourself. I think that's a brilliant line because I think that that just hits the nail on the head uh, with why a lot of these companies find themselves having issues with spam labels. It's because you're calling customers in a way they don't want to be <laughs> called or, you know, the, the pattern or how often or even what the message is. So that's really, really good advice. And I really hope that people heed that information. So Scott, we'd like to thank you for being here today. And we'd like to thank all of you in the audience for joining us for another episode of Tuesday Talks. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Tuesday Talks, your source of truth in the communications industry. Coming up on Tuesday, August 12th, Molly Weiss, Vice President of Marketing and Communications, takes over as our host once again, this time welcoming Numerical's Vice President of Business Development, Alex Carter, for an in-depth market assessment to help you navigate what you should be looking for in potential solutions, vendors, and partners for your business. We hope to see you there.